Hello, hello. Welcome to the AlphaCo Marketing and Media Podcast. My name is Graham Dunlap, and I am a partner here at AlphaCo Marketing and Media, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague and our CEO, Juan Pablo Osorio. Juan Pablo, how are you today? Hello, everybody. Buenos dias. Good morning. Doing pretty well. Just came in from Dallas and happy to be here to talk about digital marketing. Awesome. We're really excited to get together today. I've known you now for several years, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yes, a uh, little bit about me. I was a, a Marine in my previous life, came to Texas from South America, joined the Marines. And um, after the Marines, I, I went to school, to college, used my GI Bill to go to college and ended up studying marketing. Even met co-founder here at AlphaCo, focusing sales, marketing and business. And uh, yeah, I totally love it and was able to also meet you along the way, Graham. Yeah, that's right. So to give you guys a little bit of background about me, I'm a lifelong Texan. Shortly after college, was fortunate enough to work in a startup environment providing scholarship tools to higher ed. Uh, decided I really wanted to know a little bit more, really a lot more about business, about everything that goes into building a successful business. And I went back and, and got my MBA. After getting my MBA, I was fortunate enough to meet Juan Pablo and our other partner. And from there, um, we've been working on Alphaco marketing and media for four years now, and it's been an absolutely awesome ride. Um, with that, four years in, we are finally starting a podcast. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about what the podcast is going to be, just so that you know what you can expect if you do decide to hit that subscribe button and listen to us long term. So we are a marketing agency, and we are really going to focus in on marketing, how to market your company, when and why to work with a marketing agency, and what different trends we see in the industry, uh, both broadly speaking for, for major corporations, as well as really in the micro sense for your smaller shops who you know maybe just want to, to sell mom's salsa. Whatever the case may be, we really want to provide an informational space for you to learn more about what's going on and how you can market yourself better. With that for today, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the trends that we see in digital marketing as they exist right now, give you some insight into whether or not we think these are trends that you really need to stay on top of, how to take advantage of the trends if they are real. And then when we kind of in signing off, we're going to talk a little bit more about the future, some things to expect coming down the pipe. With that, Juan Pablo, what is the first trend that you wanted to talk about today? Thank you, Graham. I wanted to uh, get the audience to consider about a trend going on in the United States. We are here. I'm based out of Houston, Texas, and uh, we have 45% Hispanic-speaking population. Statewide in Texas, about 40%. This is a huge untapped market for many businesses. We see the opportunity for businesses to have a bilingual brand. And it's not just about translating materials into Spanish. It's about transmitting your business message, showing your target audience a reality that they can relate to and how your business can improve their lives. So we had a project with Pepsi over the past year, and uh, we work with Hispanic-owned restaurants that some of these businesses were struggling with getting traffic to their websites. Some of these businesses, like Memo's Hot Dog in Chicago, who was a family-owned business passed down over generations, but it was in the brinks of closing its doors because they couldn't keep up with the new restaurants coming up in the neighborhood through the gentrification that is happening. 
Well, good thing they signed up for the Pepsi Juntos Crecemos program. We were assigned to do their website and search engine optimization, the Google rankings. And um, it was an impact to be able to see Memo's hot dog family report to us that they're being found on their neighborhood by people searching restaurants near me and hot dogs near me. They saw an increase of traffic, clicks and orders. And over a period of a year, their online orders increased by 15,000, 20,000, month to month and quarter over quarter increase in revenue from online sales. This not only brought success to Memo's business, but the family, Guillermo and his wife and their children and their parents were able to have a business that works for them, maintain their legacy and continue to serve the community that they're part of. If you're in Chicago, by the way, Recommend you to stop by Memo's Hot Dogs. And uh, we have many other stories like this. Antonio's Pizza in Chicago as well. And we work with clients all over the U.S. If you're a restaurant owner and you have Hispanic people that come to eat at your restaurant, they may be considering tending to them in a way that they communicate. So the restaurant industry is one example of the Hispanic trend. I would also like to briefly touch on the legal and medical industry. We manage a vast portfolio of medical practices and although the doctors, not all the doctors know Spanish, they have a Spanish-speaking patients looking for their services. So with the slight help of bringing their information, their website into Spanish and having a contact form that people can understand, we have seen an increase in businesses' patient flow, also in the legal industry. The Hispanic people also get into accidents and have legal issues and it's as confusing to them as anybody. Please provide information to the community. This is happening across the U.S. And if it's not in your market, it's coming to a market near you. But overall, if you live in a big city, this is something that's already prevalent. And um, yeah, just one quick tip before I hop off on the subject. If you already have content that's ranking on English, if you choose that to Spanish, hey, you already have high engaging content that can bring traffic and leads to your website. But um. Wanted to uh, engage here with you, Graham. What are some of the things you've seen as well? Uh, you've been uh, working and part of the founding team. And what is your perspective on it? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, you know, I love getting to hear stories like memos where they had been ha had been marketing forever, but hadn't been marketing in a way that was authentic to them. And by that, I mean, they are, you know, native Spanish speakers who run a business, you know, kind of targeted to the Spanish community, but had been marketing in English and hadn't really been true to themselves and what they were doing. And my my take on that is, and I was involved working with Memos a little bit, is that as soon as they started communicating in a way that was authentic to them and authentic to their community, they really started to take off. And kind of in the micro sense, the or or in the real practical sense in the States, Spanish speaking is is really important. There's a growing number of people who who speak Spanish in the States. And those people do want to be marketed to. I think it's a, a right really to be marketed in not your native language, but your native culture. To have people speak to you in a way that's culturally meaningful to you, I think is really, really impactful. And something that I think we should see a little bit more of writ large, not just in terms of being bilingual, but in terms of making sure that what we communicate is individualized to, to us um, and then also kind of individualized to our audience. We want to make sure that our, our audience and the people that we market to, whether for ourselves or for our clients, are, are really 
being themselves because the best way to attract new clients, to attract new patients, to attract new consumers is to tell them who you are and tell them who you are authentically. And that's kind of what I've seen in the, in the industry. Tell me a little bit more about that, Juan Pablo. Like, what are some ways that you think restaurants, doctors' offices, attorneys can can tap into better communicating who they are and better communicating to their audience? Yes, sir. You know, I have a concept that I tell business owners about, and is embracing uh, your business as a bilingual entity, even a polyglot entity that can speak multiple languages, especially if those languages represent the communities that you serve. So. You might not know multiple languages, but your business certainly can. And it makes sense if you're in a city with a certain demographic that uses your business concurrently, then it makes sense to, to serve them. And it's not just about translating the page. It's, it's like we said mentioned earlier, it's about communicating through the photos, through the content and the cultural nuances. So I would say part of your marketing plan is to look at the data in your community that you serve and think about how to implement that bilingual concept of the business entity and track it look at the analytics you can see how many people have visited the website with their browser set up in a certain language you know right now i have a, a friend that owns a business and uh, she sells these head straps for baseball that are the most it's so popular online baseball straps that people wear they've gone viral anyways she says that she knows she's missing on a huge market because her biggest baseball fans markets is philadelphia houston astros and los angeles and they have a vast hispanic opportunity and when we looked at her analytics we can see if there is a certain percentage of spanish set browsers which then would make sense for us to propose to her a type of tactic in the strategy that brings her business to communicating multiple languages to the multiple audiences and at the end of the day is only going to affect your bottom line in a positive way. Yeah, I wanted to jump in and just say that that's something that I've definitely seen is over and over again, uh, in particular, when we work with people who are in an area geographic region that is very multicultural, the minute they start representing themselves as able to support that multicultural community, we see huge upticks in the amount of traffic that they get to their website. We see huge upticks in terms of their repeat customers from parts of the world that they weren't serving in the past. So there absolutely is power there. There absolutely is a first mover's advantage there. In the interest of trying to give one kind of like top line trend here, would you agree with the assessment that the top line trend is to know your audience and communicate to your audience individually? Would that be safe to say? Yes, yes. I would even add that we live in a world that's changing so fast and it's multicultural by nature and um just being aware of that mm -hmm. uh, yeah always looking at the target audience first and if it makes sense and communicating that way not all the businesses are looking to serve the hispanic audience but um we mentioned some of the verticals and industries that is just unavoidable if your city has a type of population and it might be you have a somali population or vietnamese check out the audience and serve them serve that community I think that's a really great point. And I, I do think that by our nature, we talk a lot about the Hispanic community, but that's not the only community out there. It's really about knowing your community, being involved in your community, and then communicating to them as if they are unique, because they are, and you're unique as well. 
One thing that I think we wanted to do as we go through these trends is kind of give them a, a rating. Like, is this real? Is this something that we should really be paying attention to? I know how I feel, but Juan Pablo, would you say this is a, a real and pertinent trend that people need to really take note of and start acting on? I would say that uh, this trend is only coming to a city near you. We have seen overall the U.S. Hispanic population rise and it's only going to continue. And just like I mentioned earlier, it's an ever-evolving multicultural pot here, but for sure, Hispanics make a huge part of that multicultural diversity that we have. Yeah, Hispanics is one of the top ones as far as growth and projected growth. Absolutely. And, you know, you kind of spoke to evolution, and I think that's a really nice segue into our next topic. Digital marketing, the internet, the technology world, the technology space is, is really rapidly and constantly evolving. With that, I think there's a lot of new platforms, new ways to reach your, your audience that we wanted to talk a little bit about today. I have kind of a pile of different technologies here that I think are, are worth diving into. I don't think we have the time to get into each of them in depth today. But the ones that I really wanted to talk about were AI, TikTok, what do you do with it? next door reddit and then podcasting which is something that we're doing first thing i want to talk about is just a little bit about ai my view on ai here is that yes it's going to change things uh no it's probably not going to replace you and isn't going to replace people the way i think about ai is very much that it is a tool that we can use my history isn't this great but 30 years ago we were using calculators now we're using excel before that we were using an abacus eventually you know we continue to evolve i think ai will be much the same um it's going to be a tool that we use to better serve our audience and it's going to be a tool that consumers and, and small businesses use to be faster but i don't think that there's any real danger of it replacing human beings at this point yes uh you know recently i heard a man talk about industry 5.0 he talked about the different stages of the industrial age and pre-industrial age and the technology age. And he mentions that Industry 5.0 is this is uh, the workforce integrated with AI. And it's just part of like when the internet came around and the industrial revolution, people thought they were going to lose their jobs and they thought everything was going to change and the world was going to be over. But in reality, uh, us as humans, we're very adaptive and I um, think that we'll figure out a way how to ride the horse instead of uh, being uh, trampled by it. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, I think we've already seen this. I mean, candidly, we use AI. In fact, we used AI to help us come up with some ideas for this podcast. But then what we took were the ideas that it, it generated and, and we added a human touch. We made them about us. We expanded upon them. And I think that's a really great way to think about the technology is it might offer you a seed, but you still need to turn that seed into a flower. You still need to make sure that, you know, you germinate it into a full idea. Again, kind of wanted to go through these in a little bit of a rapid fire way. I want to move on to TikTok. TikTok's been around a long time. I think that it's something that at least in our industry, we've seen a lot of grappling with. How do we how do we engage with this? How do we use this? How do we actually make this meaningful? I don't necessarily have the best opinion of that. I, I think for me, TikTok is really a platform for virality. Virality is really something that's difficult to define. It can certainly be bought if you have a, a mega budget. But if you don't have a mega budget, I think you're going to spend a ton, a ton, a ton of time trying to go viral and not necessarily succeeding. I don't know, Juan Pablo, how do you view TikTok? Man, it's uh, very interesting. I think there's two sides to the coin. One is that it's absolutely, other than ChatGPT, it was, it's been the fastest growing social media. Before ChatGPT, TikTok got to 100 million faster than Twitter, faster than the previous social media platforms that came out in the past. So it's a huge potential for businesses and um, new brands and existing brands to get rich 
on the other hand it's being banned by some states it's being banned by by some governments and there is controversies about privacy so I, it's very interesting for me to see i, I kind of see like this pool between youth and uh, tradition when it comes to this uh, tiktok yeah I, I do think that's really interesting and i do think there's a danger of political action against that platform specifically i what i would say here is Politics aside, I think that that type of service is here to stay. You know, I do think that we will continue to have some sort of video suggestion service with user-generated content no matter what we do. What I think is that those types of platforms are really excellent if you're selling a good direct-to-consumer. So anywhere where you have an online store that you want to sell directly to the consumer, that's where I think that TikTok works really well. What I don't think, however, is that it makes sense for service-oriented businesses. So anybody who's in a service, I don't, you know, I don't really see a ton of value for an attorney getting on TikTok and talking about divorce law. You know, a couple of them may go viral and maybe become big, but I'm honestly not sure how that even translates into actual attorney revenue. It may translate into TikTok revenue or translate into YouTube stardom, but I don't think that it necessarily helps your law firm if you go on TikTok and talk about law. So that's really where I stand with TikTok. Nextdoor though is something that has been around a little bit quite a while, but I think is growing in, in prominence in how people think about it and talk about it. I don't know, Juan Pablo, do you have any experience with Nextdoor or do you want me to share some of my experiences here? Please, please share. I haven't personally yeah. used it. Absolutely. So the first thing I will say about Nextdoor, for those who aren't familiar with it, it is a tool that geofences you to your neighborhood. So when you sign up, you have to sign up with your real name and your real address. They do some address verification. I'm not sure exactly how they do that. However, the whole intent of the service is to basically create actual communities online for your neighborhood, for your neighbors. I've seen this tool be used really well for like announcing public events. So we live in a small town right now and I've been on our next door and regularly I hear about, oh, they're doing this cool festival downtown. Long story short, this is a platform that I've seen a lot of local engagement and local involvement with. And it's an area that I think that if you have a business that's reliant on local foot traffic or has any sort of local bent, Nextdoor is a really powerful platform for you, not just to be on, but potentially to advertise on as well. The things that I like about Nextdoor are that it is by design about your physical community. And the way that is unique from most other social media is most other social media, you organize based on interest. Nextdoor, you organize based on location. Now that's hugely, hugely, hugely powerful for any business in that location because you know that you have a, a captive audience who's using this tool to engage with you or to engage with their community. And then you can be a part of that community online. So something that I would really suggest that people take a, a closer look at, because it is a growing platform, I've kind of stayed on top of it. And I know that in the beginning, they didn't really have advertising options for small to mid-sized businesses. That's really changed. They've actually recently rolled out a tool that allows your local business to provide a smaller advertisement. They also have kind of your traditional Google My Business style page there that anybody can sign up for. They're completely free. Definitely something that I recommend you taking advantage of just because there is that built-in forced geographic audience there. I really think Nextdoor is poised to change how we do local and how we think about interacting with your, your local community online. The next one I wanted to talk about, and I, I'm gonna go kind of quickly through this, is just Reddit. 
Reddit has obviously been around a really, really, really long time, but I do think that there is a growing use case for it, especially as we talk about individualizing. What Reddit has is really, really tight-knit specific communities. So it is a way that you can go in and if you, let's say you run a business that is focused on helping restaurateurs streamline their process, right? Well, the great thing about Reddit is that there is going to be a Reddit community that exists just for restaurateurs talking about how to better run their business. So it's a really great way for you to go and position yourself as a knowledge expert in any given space and really grow your business that way. I wouldn't say that Reddit works nearly as well for local, but if you have any type of business that where you're positioning yourself as a thought leader, I think Reddit is the place to be. And that rolls really nicely into podcasts as well. Podcasts are a great way to not only position yourself as a thought leader, but to have conversations with other thought leaders in your industry. Juan Pablo, I know I monologued there for a little bit. What do you think about Nextdoor, Reddit, podcasting, anything there that you have thoughts on or want to expand on? Yes, I wanted to say that um, these are all marketing channels. They were made for that, although the consumer uses it for entertainment. But the founders of all these platforms knew they were going to be marketing platforms. So whether it's TikTok, Reddit, Podcast, Nextdoor, look at your audience, make sure they're there. And if they are there, market to them in that platform. Whether it's, they're in TikTok, then TikTok is it. If they're in Reddit, go engage with the community and give insights and value and uh, they also have reddit ads podcast ads nextdoor ads tiktok ads and you can potentially if you find that your audience engages with certain influencers or channels then it makes sense to put some marketing dollars put a strategy behind it and test it out let the data speak for itself I think that's a really, really, really brilliant way of putting that. It's all about the channel. It's all about where your client lives, understanding your client, and then meeting them where they live. The next kind of top, well, I guess we need to rate this topic. I don't think it's worth going item by item, but I would definitely say that staying on top of new platforms, making sure that you know what the next platforms are going to be, and making sure that you have a really solid understanding of how your audience engages with these platforms is and will continue to be hugely important for any business looking to grow. 100% agree. So the next topic that we wanted to cover today is just a little bit about SEO. Now I have here on my outline, SEO, is it dead? Um, Juan Pablo, why don't you tell us? Is SEO dead? Certainly it is not. It's just ever evolving. SEO, as long as there's a trillion visitors to Google every day and their clicks. And I just heard a stat recently that there is like millions of new terms being put into Google every hour. <laughs> like I think it's 80% of keywords typed into Google are brand new. So there's just an a vast amount of people searching for products and services using their browsers. Uh, and as long as people have that habit, SEO will be alive. When I say it's evolving, this chat GPT revolution, AI, now it's easier to make content. But at the same time, the browsers are also adjusting their algorithms to either lean into the AI or to be against it. And it is important to know where the trend is going, whether AI written content boosts SEO. But as far as we know, 
AI generated content does not help with SEO. It can be flagged. So you got to still be careful to generate original content that's valuable to your audience. I want to stop you real fast. So what you're saying is that AI written content does not help with SEO just so that I can confirm that. Yeah, it does not. Uh, just like you mentioned earlier, it's good to generate ideas, but every time you type a keyword into any form on a computer, it carries code with it. And if you copy ChatGPT and paste it, the code will be with it. And it's actually more work to clear the code than just to write from scratch what what the ideas are. So highly recommend people to use ChatGPT on the internet to for the research stage. But when it comes to writing for SEO, Google ranking content, you want the human ideas to be translated into the page and there is one more thing that when it comes to all of this that is us is the authors is the humans who have the soul the ai doesn't have a soul the ai will give you ideas but it's up to you to bring that soul of your brand into every piece of content i think that's that's really really insightful you know something that i tell people anytime i'm talking with them about seo is that really SEO is, it's meant to mimic real life. I know that that sounds crazy, but the way the algorithm is written is that it is very much meant to promote people who are seemingly thought experts, are engaged with their community online, and who are regularly being social online. So all of that is to say that having a soul is, is really important to SEO. That the more you engage with your online community, the better off your SEO will be and the more customers you'll see because of it. One thing I want to talk about just briefly, because I, I know that we want to move on here, is what are some of the advantages to SEO relative to, say, digital ads or even social media marketing? Good to go. You know, we have a client here in Houston, Texas. It's a legal, it's a lawyer, and we try to dominate the Google ranking. And um, just over January, February of this year, the website has gotten over 800 phone calls, organic phone calls coming in through the website. We divide this by 30. You know, that's a hefty amount of phone calls per day. SEO is not dead. It's definitely alive. And, you know, with, with the organic traffic, like we mentioned channels, it's just one channel. You still got to be mindful if there's a part of the budget or if it makes sense to do online ads, then... Instead of generating content, we can generate little adverts that show up when people are searching. You usually see them at the top of your Google search with the boards on top say sponsor or online ad. This, we have to pay per click. And depending on the budget, it's your clicks are exhausted when your budget is over. With organic, it's more of a long-term game, but uh, if you have done your work, you don't run out of budget when it comes to SEO. As long as you continue to post content, if the people are searching for your service, they will find you, regardless yeah. whether you have a budget on the online ads or not. So I think this is something that I kind of talk about regularly, and it's just the idea of the snowball effect. What you're saying is that with SEO, the longer you do it and the more you do, the bigger the snowball gets and the bigger your gravity gets. The more you're doing, the more impact you're going to have. Is that right? Yes, yes. You know, we have uh, our digital strategies and a co-founder, Mariano Iriondo, and he says he mentioned about the snowball effect, but said it's so much work to get traction on SEO to get impressions and to move through all the back pages where, where business can be. But once you make it to the top 10, to the first page, you would see just domination and a steady flow of 
clicks that represent that snowball being just huge and rolling down the mountain, but it takes some time before getting there. That, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I mean, even with a snowball, it starts as a snowflake, right? You've got to think about how we do start small, but the more we do and the longer we do it, the bigger of an impact that's going to have. So the next thing I really wanted to talk about, and I think this is really topical just because of what's been going on in the world is, is the economic changes that we're experiencing. How does that impact you? How does that impact your marketing? What do you do when interest rates are rising, when the consumer environment changes? You know, the first thing I want to mention is that we are coming out of a period of extreme free money. When I say free money, I just mean that interest rates were extraordinarily low, which allowed people to take out a lot of loans at low interest rates and pay them back and invest that money elsewhere. That's kind of changing. What that's going to mean is there's just less money in the economy, period. People are going to be more likely to keep their money in savings. How does that impact you? Well, there's a few things that you can really do to take advantage of higher interest rates or a more discerning consumer environment. You know, I was reading actually a study from Yale and it talked a little bit about Costco. And one of the things that Costco does when interest rates are up or the economy is suffering a little bit is they just lower the price of gas by a few cents. They give discounts on their gas. And what happens is people come to get gas at Costco because it's cheaper. And that's something that actually motivates people. And then they spend a ton of money on other things at Costco. I think that's a really great way to think about how you can take advantage of the current economic situation. You know, is there a loss leader that you have? Maybe you are a restaurant and you sell a lot of coffee, but it's not a high margin item for you. So maybe you discount your coffee, you sell the cheapest coffee in town, and then once people are in your doors, they're buying all the other things. They're buying the pastries, they're buying the breakfast tacos, whatever else you sell. And I think that's a really great way to think about it is provide something that seemingly gives an economic advantage and then have those people be married to you now. What you're gonna have to do is you're going to have to provide ways for people to spend their money with you instead of somewhere else. It is a little bit more competitive, there is less money. However, these situations do create winners and losers. There is opportunity here if you're able to market, if you're able to kind of ride out this storm, you will come out on top stronger for it. The next kind of idea I have here is to just offer more premium options. I know that can be a little bit counterintuitive. That being said, people with more money are continuing to be discerning and they will spend. So what you want to do is you want to kind of offer those premium options, those things that maybe you didn't have before that are really going to set you apart because that audience will still come and see you. And then the last thing is an element of time sensitivity. If you can add time sensitivity, you know, we know times are tough in the economy, so we're offering this deal for this month. That's going to keep people coming to you. What you want to do is you want to get people spending the money that they do have and that they are willing to spend on you during these times so that when things do slow down, you have that advantage that you can step up from. Juan Pablo, what kind of insight do you have or what have you seen economically in the, in the marketplace or in the industry? Yes, I, you have to get creative. It's not always just a price or just because there's an economic downturn doesn't mean that your business has to go down with it. I just had a man tell me yesterday that in business, there's a way to make money on the way up and a way to make money on the way down. And I thought that was interesting for him to tell me that. And um, it made me think, uh, I just finished reading this book, The Everything Store, the story of Amazon. And um, right during the economic downturn of 08 and 09, Amazon was pushing its Amazon Prime subscription, where all of a sudden you can get things mm -hmm. to your house in a day or two. Can you believe that people during the economic downturn that had a prime, just the fact that they had a prime, they would spend 
much more on their carts than people who did not have Prime. So they would go to Amazon to buy uh, one thing and they would end up checking out from their shopping cart with hundreds of dollars of extra items because it was so easy to just order. And like you said, Graham, people are still willing to spend. It's just they're just more careful with it. And you just got to position your brand mm -hmm. that you are the place where they want to spend, whether it's because you have the most delicious price-friendly coffee. But what else are you giving them along with that? The example of I'm going to go to Prime and order this one thing that I want. But while I'm there, I have 10 recommendations based on my previous shopping experience, a deal that's a deal of the day that's popping next to it. And it's so easy to just pay one click. Mm -hmm. Something I'm kind of picking up on is that, you know, in economically good times, what we see are a lot of winners. And in maybe more economically challenging times, we see more winners and losers. But the people who do win get bigger and stronger for it. Yes, yes. And this, again, uh, the books, Good to Great and Built to Last, mention just this. The economic downturns, those brands that are built to last, will make it through because of the invested on their brand, their communities that they serve, and their teams. Yep. So this would be a time where we would recommend, you know, win customers to you. Don't go out of business doing so. But this is an opportunity to win customers to you. And then when things are less price sensitive, you can maybe turn that valve back up, increase prices, have a, a really loyal customer base. And then when the economy maybe is a little bit better, you'll be making more money than you ever were before the economic downturn. Yes, yes. So the last thing we're going to talk about a little bit today is VR. I kind of want this to just be more of a free-flowing conversation. I think there's just so much still that we don't know about VR that it would be really, really hard to, to make too many prognostications today. That being said, my kind of first, I'll start things off with a, a prognostication that I just said I wasn't going to make, which is that AR is scarier than VR. And maybe scarier is not the right word. AR is, I think, more likely to, and when I say AR, I mean augmented reality instead of true virtual reality, is more likely to become dominant than virtual reality. I agree with that. The reality, the virtual reality will become hybrid with the actual reality. And um, with these Google lenses, Apple glasses, so much new technology that's coming to bring those worlds together. It's just a matter of time before we see digital ads when you have your lenses on and you won't see nothing if you take them off. Just creative AR methods that are coming to a town near you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really smart way of thinking about it is like, Sure, there's virtual real estate. We've heard all about that. And you know, maybe you can go play in Facebook's meta and see new virtual storefronts. I think a lot of that acts not too dissimilarly from having a website and a traditional storefront. It just happens to be in VR. Whereas with AR, I think there's something really interesting where maybe you are, you're wearing your glasses or we get to the point where we just... We constantly have our phones out while we're driving, but because we're now in AR, we start seeing, hey, it's noon and you're on a three hour long drive. My phone might just start recommending local restaurants to me that I should stop in because it knows that I'm hungry. It knows that I'm on a long drive and it's about time to eat. And so it's going to start showing me these ads. That's more of the story that we're predicting is, is something like that. Yes, yes. Again, it's to an experience. Imagine walking into a and i'm just gonna mention nike i just they spend a lot on customer experience walking into a nike store and you traditionally you will go and see the 
the mannequin and the shoes. But now if you walk in with your set of Apple glasses, you have a whole different experience where you can actually engage mm -hmm. and high five LeBron as you walk into the store and you can see the different advertisements that are spinning through the walls. But if you don't have the glasses on, you have the traditional experience. It's still the Nike store. It's just you're emerging a new experience once you tap into the AR. And um, I can imagine it's just a matter of time before brands start adopting this technology. And um, yeah, imagine a, an egg hunt where if you come into the store and you're wearing Apple glasses or Google glasses and you find this egg hunt, you get price and it would just engage so much youth and traffic and people interested. Just like when Pokemon AR came out. We had grown people driving in at the stoplight trying to catch a virtual Pokemon. <laughs> I, I, I did too, man. I caught some virtual Pokemons. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I took pictures of Pikachu on my knee, the whole deal. That, it, that was a prequel to what was to come. And uh, just imagine instead of seeing a Pokemon, you're seeing a product, a Pepsi, a that ice latte when you're 110 degrees in Texas. And how about an ice latte? And you can see the ice strips coming off of it. I must taste them and feel them. For sure. So, I, you know, an interesting lesson that I think could be learned here. People talk or you hear a lot of talk, I should say, about virtual reality being like the death of real reality, the death of the store. But in fact, it's if anything, it might strengthen the storefront. I think some of the stories you're telling about going to the Nike store or imagine like a Disney store being really compelling where, no, it's not that you go online and you put your headset on and you go into the Disney store there and it just looks like Space Jam. It's that you go into an actual physical store, you go into the Nike store, you go to the mall and you have on your augmented reality glasses or whatever that technology looks like, and you start seeing more enticements to come in there, more offers through the AR as opposed to it being like a sit on your couch with a headset on experience. Yes, imagine a huge Pokemon coming to greet you at the mall telling you to come in the store. Uh, sure. So it's already possible. You've seen it on some huge billboards. They have in buildings in Times Square, they have augmented reality already mm -hmm. being places yeah so this is coming but we don't think it's it's here yet not in mass not in mass yet i think that's really safe to say well i think that kind of wraps up the topics that we wanted to go over today but one thing that we always want to do when we wrap up here this is something that we do throughout our company is juan pablo what's one great movie one great book one great tv show something that you've watched this week that you'd recommend to the audience yeah, so I mentioned this book, The Everything Store, the story of Amazon. There was so much to learn from this book, from how they turned through the 90s, the dot-com bubble, the recession, and how they just kept innovating, kept competing against the market and other competitors in the landscape, and have eventually dominated and branded themselves, not just as the biggest library in the world digitally, but just the everything store from cloud, gaming, product verticals uh so i would highly recommend the audience to check out that book it's one more time the name of the book just so that we we have that on here a couple times okay it's the everything store yep. the everything store jeff bezos and the age of amazon book by brad stone awesome thank you so much and on my end i'm gonna do kind of a couple of companion pieces here one I just read or listened to the audiobook of Rick Rubin's new book called The Creative Act. Really, really interesting way to think about what it takes to be creative or to create 
anything in the world. And I think it's really important that when we talk about the creative act, it's not just a song or a piece of art. It's anything that you want to create. And he really provides a nice blueprint for how to do that. A lot of that is centered around tranquility, which is why my next, the next thing I kind of want to talk about that I saw recently was a movie called Babylon. If the creative act paints being creative as something fairly tranquil and about letting the universe strike you with an epiphany. Babylon kind of paints the creative act as a, an act of mania, as like truly kind of almost being in a fever dream is what it takes to actually succeed in this. And I think those are the yin and the yang of how you actually succeed in this world. It's that on the one hand, the more in control we can be, the more likely we are to succeed. On the other hand, oftentimes success comes with a bit of feverish work and chaos that can be hard to hard to control. And so how do you find the enlightenment through the chaos is I think a really interesting question and something that both of these kind of pieces of art, I think do a good job of getting at. All right, everybody, this has been the very first AlphaCo Marketing and Media podcast. Really hope that you found the, the topics interesting. Really hope that you join us next time. Click subscribe and we look forward to taking this journey with you guys. Look forward to many podcasts together and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for listening.